This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode is brought to you by Built to Sell, the online course, which is an interactive video-based training program that teaches eight strategies for driving up the value of your company. The course is made up of these 32 videos along with templates and quizzes and worksheets. You can view training videos in your own time, connect with others, and compare notes with classmates in the discussion area of each module. To learn more, head on over to builttosell.com slash course. So a lot of times with Built to Sell Radio, we're trying to tell you a success story, right? I'm kind of trying to share a story about an entrepreneur who built a business from scratch, sold it for a chunk of money, and kind of rode off into the sunset. While those stories are great and inspiring and hopefully some lessons learned, they're not always the most educational. Sometimes the most educational stories are the heartbreak stories, the ones that don't go as planned. And I think this episode um, checks that box. It's with a woman named Alexis Neely, who you'll meet in a moment, who tried to sell her law firm, uh, was successful, or so she thought, but as you'll learn, uh, ended up uh, with the firm back and a whole lot less wealthy than she was when she tried to start the exit process. So lots of lessons learned, which I think Alexis will share in a transparent form. Two things that I want you to listen for as you go through this. One is if ever you're going through a vendor take back deal, uh, make sure you're doing as good a job interviewing the prospective buyer as they are doing interviewing you. And you'll learn about why that's important in a moment. Number two, Selling a company is not a DIY effort. It is not a do-it-yourself project. It is a project, in my view, where you need representation. You need a good M&A professional, a good intermediary, a good business broker acting for you in the sale of your business. Yes, they cost money, uh, but as Alexis will share, should be worth their weight in that amount of money uh, based on the money they save and the expertise they bring to the table. So without further ado, here's Alexis Neely's story. Alexis Neely, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you started and ultimately sold a law firm. How did you get into law? Well, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, and he was not uh, an entrepreneur who was doing things right all the time. In fact, this is going to be a funny story, but he was a con artist. And I went went into law to save him because growing up, seeing him uh, getting in trouble with the law, I had this strong desire to be, you know, the savior. And oftentimes we do that as as kids with our parents. And so I went to law school to save my dad and so that I would never have to be an entrepreneur, which is funny because ultimately uh, I did become an entrepreneur and it's in my blood. I couldn't help it. But I thought if I go to law school, I never have to be in business for myself and have this up and down income and feel like I'm, you know, doing the wrong thing, which is what I associated with entrepreneurship. So I had to overcome a lot of that. <laughs> Isn't that wild? So, I mean, he was into big time uh, schemes or little, you know, small time stuff? Well, um, it was pretty much um, uh, selling, selling business opportunities, which is also really funny because, you know, here I am today in an industry that is tied fairly closely to selling business opportunities. Uh, but I feel like I have taken his karma and transmuted it so that now where he was selling people things that never could have possibly worked, uh, I'm helping people to actually build businesses that allow them to have the lives that they truly want. So, um, yeah, he was, he was in the industry of selling false hopes and dreams. Oh, wow. What, what a story. So, uh, 
you started this law firm. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the journey. I mean, wh- when did you start? When did you exit? And sort of mm-hmm. how big did you get it? Yeah. So uh, coming out of law school, I came out of law school in 99 and went to work at, um, I clerked for a judge for a year, which is the thing you do after law school if you can. And then I went to work at one of the best law firms in the country, Munger, Tolls, and Olson, started by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, thinking that's the kind of lawyer I was going to be, this trusted advisor to my clients. But it wasn't like that. It was all paper pushing. And uh, just really, I, I threw that process. I was there three years and I discovered I'm actually an entrepreneur through my resistance of I'm never going to be an entrepreneur. It turns out that I was. And in 2003, after giving birth to my second child, I started my own law practice and uh, I was the breadwinner in my family. I had two kids at home under the age of four. My husband was staying at home, taking care of them. And I decided to start my own law firm, knowing nothing about business. Within three years, I had built that law practice into a million dollar a year revenue generating business. Now, this is really rare. Um, You know, most lawyers actually are not successful. People find that surprising to hear, but most lawyers actually have um, quite a poverty mentality, are very risk averse. It's why we go to law school. Most lawyers don't want to be entrepreneurs. We're not naturally entrepreneurial. But because I had that inside of me, I guess from my dad uh, and my mom also, in, in some respects, she was an artist and always selling her jewelry on the side. You know, she was an art teacher and always had her little side businesses. That just came through me and I learned everything I could about business. Well, at least about the part of business that I thought I needed to know, which was sales and marketing. And that's what allowed me to build my law practice very quickly into a million dollar a year business using a new law business model that I invented uh, along the way. And so from 2003 to 2006 was a, a huge period of growth and learning and applying and implementing. And I created this new law business model that I loved and, and my clients loved as well. And we hit the million dollar mark in 2006. And then what was the trigger that made you want to sell? Well, I knew that I wanted to move beyond the one-to-one model of serving clients in a bricks and mortar office. I knew that that wasn't my ultimate path. I began to see that I was really here to make an impact at a bigger level, uh, taking my work online nationally and internationally. And that if I was, if I had to go into the office every day or even three to four days a week, because in my fourth year of practice, I did get it to the point where because of the systems I had in place, I didn't have to go every day, three to four days a week. But even just that was limiting my ability to go to the next level and impact at this national and international level. So I began to think about selling the practice and I had no idea what I was doing. When I tell you that I focused my energy and attention on learning sales and marketing, it's true. I did not focus my energy and attention on learning about real business. For example, my financials. Um, Instead of really understanding how to look at my financials, I would just make more money so that I didn't really have to face it. Um, And so as I began to think about selling my business, I didn't really have any idea where to start. So what I did, and this was in, I think, 2007 timeframe, is I decided to have a contest. And I had an email list full of lawyers because at this point I had started training other lawyers on my models for attracting and engaging clients in a new way and serving them in a new way. So I decided that I would email my list and I would run this contest and I would say, you can apply to buy my law firm. 
come work with me side by side and take over the law firm that I've created. And I got tons of applications. And I really didn't know what it meant to sell a business or how to choose the right buyer. I was basing everything on emotion. I had no advisors guiding me at the time. I didn't understand how to use my numbers to tell the story of my business or even what reports I should be looking at on a regular basis, if you can believe this. And so I ended up choosing the wrong person um, who, as soon as as soon as we got into the conversation of, okay, let's, you know, get into the financials here. Let me talk to your CPA. All of a sudden she disappeared. This buyer disappeared. And, um, then I was back, you know, at square one, because now I'd had this contest. I'd picked a winner. We got into, okay, let's exchange financials and she disappears. So now I have to decide, okay, what am I going to do? I'm really ready to not be working in this business anymore. I'm already training lawyers on my new law business model. I've already started doing TV. I've already at this point, um, I know that I have a, a book coming out and that's going to take things even to another level. So I just looked around for who was around me and I approached somebody I thought would be good. He had been in business. Um, He had had his um, own law practice for 20 years. But what I didn't see is that while he had had his own law practice for 20 years, he had never been truly financially successful. Uh, He had the legal experience, but he did not have the business experience. So when I went to him and I said, hey, would you like to buy my law practice? I'll make the terms really easy for you. I'll let you buy me out of the revenue. Of course, he said yes. What does that mean, I let you buy me out of the revenue? um, Rather than coming up with a huge amount of money up front, I'll let you give me a small amount up front, $50,000, and then just pay me out of revenue because the firm was making around $100,000 every month. There was plenty of money coming in for him to be able to pay me out of revenue as long as he kept the systems running. What and when I you say pay out of revenue, I mean, mm-hmm. what did you have a number in mind that you thought the firm was worth? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I thought the firm was worth about $500,000. Uh, we were, as I said, we were doing a million in revenue, but I had no connection to um, an actual understanding of what that meant. I had no connection, as I said, to the numbers of the business. I just knew what we were making on a gross revenue standpoint. I didn't really understand um, uh, how to look at the profits of the business or the profitability. Uh, I didn't understand cost of goods sold. I didn't understand any of this at this point. Some, I people, are, some people are listening to Alexis and thinking like, okay, lady, how do, you, how do you get into business for yourself without knowing some of this basic stuff like revenue and and and, and profit specifically. It's truly amazing, right? What I knew and what I had learned was sales and marketing. And so in my mind and what I did quite successfully is anytime any sort of a financial issue would come up, I would just make more money to not have to deal with the reality of looking at my numbers. And ultimately, of course, I mean, you're all seeing the writing on the wall. This business could not be successfully sold. And it wasn't. Well, it was, but then it got handed right back to me. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you identify this this lawyer who you think will be, you know, the ticket to exit. Mm-hmm. You you agree um, that he's going to pay you fifty thousand dollars up front, and yep. then what over time under what conditions? What was the what were the rest of the deal points? 
Yeah, I can't remember the very specifics of how much he was going to pay me over time and at what point. I think it was set to total around $500,000. And if I recall correctly, it was something like $10,000 a month that was going to kick in maybe in six months. So that was going to give him time to get on his feet with the $50,000 that he had paid me would cover the first six months. And then in um, January of the following year, I think that was mid 2008 In January of the following year, he'd start paying me the 10,000 a month out of revenue. Got it. And so did, how did you get this? So did you have any representation in this no. agreement? Nothing. You were doing Nothing. yourself. Nothing. I mean, I was doing everything myself. I don't know why I thought that was okay. But for some reason, I thought that, you know, I could just come up with these terms myself. Um, He barely even looked at the books. I should have noted that as a red flag. But at the same time, I was grateful because I didn't really feel like we had our books in order, but I didn't even know what getting them in order meant. We did at the last minute have a CPA come in and work with us to document the deal, but it was barely even documented. Again, because I didn't understand what it meant to have um, really, if it sounds funny coming from a lawyer, having the legal and financial systems in place in my business, because I had never learned that in law school, you know, we were learning, uh, the legal and, um, really the legal parts of business for big corporations. And here I was just this little, you know, small business. I didn't understand how that translated into my business. And so I thought we could just ignore it all big lesson. I mean, it cost me ultimately about a million dollars to not know these things. And I learned the hard way and interestingly now teach from my mistakes, of course, but at the time, completely blind, completely um, going, you know, based on just, well, this guy's a lawyer, he should be able to step in and run my systems and just keep doing what I've been doing over the past three years with my team, with my systems, bring in the money, pay me, pay himself and all will be well. What I didn't realize is that you can't take somebody who's never owned a million dollar business and drop them into a million dollar business and expect them to be able to succeed. Number one, because they don't have a million dollar business owner mindset. And number two, because I didn't actually have the financial systems and the legal systems in place to ensure that he would be able to tell the story of the business from the numbers. And he didn't have any history or experience with building those. Frankly, I didn't even know that they were needed. Of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, I want to get more into this deal, but before we actually do that, though, t- tell me how you were living. So, so you were the primary br- breadwinner for your family, two young kids at home. Um, you're running this million dollar practice yeah. uh, with virtually no kind of financial controls. I mean, how did you how did you pay yourself? What if you mm-hmm. wanted, you know, if you needed money for groceries or a new car or take the kids to, you know, Disney World? Like, how were, practically were you just literally withdrawing the money out of the bank and, or how are you kind of um, sort of living day to day? Yeah. Thinking back to that time, we did incorporate the business in 2006. So in 2005, I went through a divorce. We had hired a forensic accountant. He looked at my books and he said, wow, your books are really messed up. That was my first wake up call, which I had already known, you know, I'd already known that they were messed up, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I did have an accountant at the time. And I remember saying to her, Carrie, I know that there's like reports I'm supposed to be looking at so that I can understand the health of my business. You know, what am I supposed to be seeing? And she said, well, it depends what you want to know. 
but I didn't even know what I wanted to know. So that didn't help me. Then this forensic accountant says, wow, your books are really messed up. So we get into 2006. I did incorporate the law practice. Um, and so the law practice was incorporated by 2000. Seven, I was probably paying myself a salary through the law practice, through payroll. Um, I'd probably gotten that part in order uh, and I was paying myself a salary, was paying my ex-husband child support and alimony. At that point, we were uh, successfully divorced. And, um, uh, and then I think in 2007 or 2000. I think it must have been 2007, I did start another business entity because I had begun training lawyers on my sales and marketing systems. So I had a separate uh, entity that was training the lawyers and the law practice was really just for um, uh, serving the, the legal clients. But I do remember there was one point, like, you know, our payroll taxes didn't get paid. Why? Because I didn't, I wasn't monitoring. We had um, a bookkeeper. It was coming in and working for us, but I wasn't properly monitoring what she was doing. So all kinds of mistakes like that were happening. Payroll taxes not getting paid, estimated taxes not being paid. I ended up in 2007, the year after I first met, so I first hit my million of revenue in 2006, I ended up with a $100,000 plus tax bill. I didn't have the money to pay. I had to take out a loan to pay that tax bill in 2007 because I hadn't put aside the money to pay the taxes. It's uh, all it's all it's all feeling very, you know, cutting close to the bone for any entrepreneur who's started a business from scratch. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to what you're talking about. That that sort of chaos, the I've called it the fog of war, but that that sort of very early days of a business where it's all just kind of being made up as you go along. And so yes. let, let's get back to the story. So so you you agree to sell the company, the deal terms you negotiate largely on your own. Yep. It's $50,000 up front yep. with future payments triggering, t- kicking in in six months of $10,000 a month leading yep. up to an overall sale price of around 500 grand. Correct. Then what? So six months comes around and he calls me into the office on December 31st, 2008 and says, I'm out of money. I need to hand the practice back to you. You can close it down or you can keep it running. You can do whatever you want, but the deal is off. And my heart absolutely sunk because by that point I was fully out. I had completely handed it over to him on an emotional level, on a physical level, and over the six months that he was running it, he had made some major mistakes. And that's why he was out of money. Number one, he had fired the marketing uh, gal that I had hired for him. Number two, he had stopped running the marketing campaigns that we had put in place. Number three, we had some big outstanding receivables to collect from clients that we were doing ongoing work with, and he had totally um, handled those clients poorly such that they now didn't want to pay the receivables because they were treated so poorly by him. And now I have to decide what to do because I really didn't have a good contract in place to be able to hold him to anything. I'd never even looked into his financials to make sure that he had some backing so that he'd be able to support the growth of the firm um, if there was a downturn at any, in any way, shape, or form. Really, I had no recourse. And now I had a big decision to make. And this, guys, uh, for listeners, 
this is the downside of a vendor take back deal. So a lot of deals in the, in the kind of smaller business size, when the enterprise value of a company is kind of less than 5 million, less than 3 million, it's an, it's a vendor take back, meaning the, the, the seller essentially finances the sale of the business with the caveat that if the business goes sideways and the new owner screws it up, the deal is that the old owner gets it back. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the situation you found yourself in. So what did you do? So I, all I could do at that moment was surrender and say, okay, I knew there was no point in fighting. Uh, I knew there was no point in trying to make it different. This was the reality and I had to deal with the reality I had created. So I said, okay. And I decided that I would run the practice out of my savings and out of my credit for six months while I found uh, new homes for each of my clients because I had promised them lifetime relationship. Fortunately, I'd already started training other attorneys in the local area at that point so I could distribute all the clients properly. Uh, And I would find new homes for my team members because I really cared about them and I didn't want to just leave them hanging. So I did the best I could to close the practice with as much integrity as possible. Cost me about $250,000. So I went from a sale of, you know, $500,000 to in debt. Um, well, I used some savings, so I ended up probably in debt about $150,000 after the sale. (laughs) That's not the kind of sale you want. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot along the way. So, uh, today, you know, that was all back in 2009. So today I have two, uh, businesses that, that I run and both of them are on the path of exit. And uh, in 2010, I uh, was going to transfer one of the businesses that I had over to uh, my team. And I hired a coach to help us. This time I was not going to do it alone. So I hired a coach who could coach me and coach her and successfully support the transition of this business because I was terrified after my last experience to do it wrong. And he came back to me and he said, Alexis, if you transfer this business to this team member, you're going to have the exact same experience you had last time. She can't, she's not going to be able to do it. You're, you're crazy to do this. What was he basing that on? Or what was she basing that on? uh, He was basing it on, um, the reality that, um, this team member did not have the million dollar mindset because at this point the business was again, uh, the second business that I had built. I'm really good at building businesses that make just over a million dollars in revenue. That's my sweet spot. So this business, second business was now over a million in revenue. I think we were about 1.2, 1.5. And he said, she's, she doesn't have it. She doesn't have the ability to create the systems. She doesn't have the ability to, uh, to hold this level of revenue because the reality is, is that in order to, um, run a business that's making over a million a year, you have to be willing to invest write checks of over a million a year. And that's a mindset thing. That's a, um, uh, uh, there's a, a, a particular being, be, way that you need to be in the world to hold a million dollar plus business. And she didn't have it. And he didn't see that she could grow into it. So this caused me to seriously reevaluate where I was going, what I was doing. And I, what I actually ended up doing is I ended up shrinking back that business so that um, I could manage it all on my own. And I actually fired the entire team that I had, went through a big dark night of the soul. Uh, coming back out the other side of that in 2012, 
I've, I rebuilt that company um, and, and another one so that today, uh, both companies that I have, New Law Business Model and Eyes Wide Open, have been built really in the way that you speak of, built to sell. Uh, but I don't know that I'll be selling in the traditional sense. Instead, I've created what I call share the wealth companies. And uh, what that means to me is that I've built these companies ultimately to be sold to my team. And I'm grooming the team members to be able to step into positions of leadership, even though they've never been million dollar business owners. I am supporting them to become the people that they need to be to be able to own a million dollar business, own and operate and, and run a, a million dollar business. And so we're just at a, an interesting turning point here where um, a couple of my team members last week had an intervention with me and they said, all right, we're ready for you to be out. Um, they know that I'm interested in selling. They want to buy the company. They understand that they don't yet have the skills and the personal resources to own the company. and they, well, they didn't understand that until I, until I helped them to see that. But we are now bringing in a COO type person uh, who will be able to groom all of us into, uh, into this next level where they can buy the company from me, where I can gracefully step out of working on the business and just work in the business to the degree that, uh, that I'm still you know, uh, needed for working in the business, which I am right now. And uh, I can see a, a two to three year traje trajectory now where they will be able to buy me out of the business um, or at least maybe a 75% interest and uh, we can all own the business together and they get to participate in the upside of, of building the company with me. What is it about an internal transition? Because a lot of our listeners uh, would have contemplated selling it externally, mm -hmm. uh, maybe taking on a private equity investor, mm -hmm. or you know, some of them are probably thinking, oh, maybe I'll just sell it to my kids or, or sell mm -hmm. it to the next generation of management. For, for you, why is, why is it it, why has why have you decided to sell it to the next generation of management? Yeah, uh, well, I've looked at all those other options. I've looked at it bringing in an outside uh, buyer, and I've uh, I've considered the possibility of of uh, raising a lot more capital. I, I've not raised any yet. I'm just on the verge of uh, my first equity. It'll probably be a combination of a, a, a loan and a royalty for upside investment. But uh, I'm selling it to them because I want to see them um, recognize and, and be able to realize the fruits of their labor. That feels important to me on kind of this evolutionary level that they are the ones ultimately who are going to put in what is necessary to get this company to the next level. We're at 1.5 million now. Uh, I see an entirely different level where ultimately um, we can probably in the next year and a half, double our numbers. Um, and if we're going to double in the next year and a half, I, it's go not going to be because of me. It's going to be because of this team. And I want them to be able to recognize the benefit of everything that they're going to have to put in, in order to double over the next one to two years. So we're going to have to have you come back and, and do another episode with us in, in the next yes. two or three years when that's done. Let's go back to the exit that we were talking about earlier where yeah. it, it went sideways and, and, and it was, you know, and I think you're using your term, a disaster or something, something yeah. to that effect. <laughs> you know, as you look back now, hindsight being 2020, what would you do differently? Yeah. So what I would do differently, first of all, is I would really 
understand the numbers of my business. I would have books that made sense to me. I would be reviewing my, um, my financial projections on a regular basis to understand where's the business going? What do the numbers of my, you know, what is the story that the numbers of my business tell? I didn't know how to do any of that before. Now I do. When people come into my business and they look at the numbers and the way that we have our financial set up, they are blown away because it's so good. It's so clean because I've had to learn from these mistakes. And in fact, it's something that I'm hoping to teach people um, uh, more about how to fall in love with the numbers of their business, because it's such been such a, a challenging ride for me. So that's something that uh, I'll be doing more of in the coming years, uh, once these businesses are truly handed over to my teams, and I have more time to teach. So uh, I would I would really understand the numbers of my business, I would be working with my bookkeeper and accountants in a way where I'm getting a weekly financial analysis and, uh, and monthly updates. And I understand where the business has the capacity to go. I would have a business broker. Um, if I was going to sell to an outsider, I didn't even know there was a such thing as a business broker or what that person would do. So I'd be working with a business broker to get an accurate valuation of the company and then to vet potential buyers. And I would understand that their financials are as important as my financials, that they're not just looking to buy me, I'm looking to be sold to them. And so I have to make sure that they have the financial backing um, to be able to support the business, that, um, that they have the business experience, that they, that they are already somebody who can own a mil- and run a million-dollar business and has the, um, the capacity as an entrepreneur. Because as an entrepreneur, you have to be willing to go through the ups and downs. You need to be willing to make investments even when it's scary uh, and keep, keep making those investments in marketing. And you have to, you know, you have to understand um, those sales and marketing systems and really be able to run those to keep the clients happy. So I would make sure that this person really gets that and has experience um, with doing it. And then I would document the deal a lot better. I would work with the business broker and a lawyer to document the deal so that there is protections in place for me. Uh, so that if the buyer did want to give back the business for some reason, um, that there would be some uh, uh, recourse to me for having to take it back and either uh, continue running it or shutting it down. Uh, and um, I would do it with my eyes wide open. Uh, basically, I was selling my business with my eyes tightly shut, hoping that it all went okay, uh, but without um, really understanding what was happening. And so I would get way more support, get way more intimate with my numbers and um, find the right buyer. Alexis, great points. Put on your lawyer hat for a moment, if you would. And just for those of us who are who are planning to go through, um, you know, pa- passing off a business in, in a vendor take back sort of situation like the exit you had, h- how can we paper the deal so that there is some recourse in the event that the new owner you know wants to hand back the keys? When you say recourse, just maybe get specific nuts and bolts. What does that exactly mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, there's many different ways you can do it, but one way would be with collateral. You know, where you're really, um, you know, maybe the, the buyer is, has, is going to, um, you know, personally guarantee the deal with some sort of collateral so that if they do hand back the business within some amount of time, they're not just handing you back the business with assets that are no longer worth as much because, for example, they've stopped running the marketing campaigns or they've treated the clients poorly, but they're handing you back the business with some sort of collateral that you can 
uh, use to rebuild the business if that's necessary. So collateral um, could be what? Uh, collateral could be their home. It could be other assets that they have. It could be stock accounts, investment accounts, um, anything that's going to back up their investment so that they're not just promising you to pay out of their out of the revenue, which if they decimate the revenue, there's no there's no backup for you, but they've actually put their own assets on the line. And that's what I did not do here. I did not require my buyer to put anything on the line other than that initial $50,000 investment. And so you want to make sure that your buyer's got something on the line uh, and you're not just handing over the keys to the kingdom without any source of um, uh, backup in case things go wrong. Great advice, and thank you for wearing your lawyer hat. I know it's not your favorite thing to do. So. It's not. <laughs> that's that's it's great. So not. Alexis, uh, two businesses, new law business model, exam, er, and um, eyes wide open. Tell people where is the best place to reach you. Sure. If you are a lawyer and you want to be trained on our systems for attracting, engaging, and serving clients in a new way, as well as now understanding your numbers and how to manage your team and your metrics, all of which I learned the hard way, um, you want to check us out at newlawbusinessmodel.com or lawbusinessmentors.com if you want to read some great articles and find some great resources. Um, and then eyes wide open, we are teaching you to build your life and income awake, aware, and on your terms. And you can find me at eyeswideopenlife.com. And we've got a program called The Money Map where we help you to reimagine, re-envision, and have a new relationship with time, money, and how you get paid. Uh, also created out of my own experiences with getting lost in actually making too much money, which might sounds strange, but I was always driven by this need to make more and more and more money chasing financial freedom, which I ultimately found is a fool's errand. And instead, now I've found something called financial liberation, which any of you can have right now. Uh, you don't have to wait for later. You can step into that, that dream life that you desire today. Alexis so those Neely. Are the two businesses. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L 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 Thanks for listening.